0: Welcome to the show off the record. This is episode number 25, and I'm joined here today with Lee Gladish. Uh, Lee is the former co-founder at Reply.io and the current CEO at Airborne App, which is the industry's first sales engagement application purpose-built for agencies like, like myself. Uh, he has been in the software uh, sales space for over 10 years, and uh, we're really excited to have him on our, on our show today. Uh, after working with countless sales agencies, Lee has seen how effect, how effective they can be and has picked up the tactics necessary to achieve massive results. He's also seen the challenges to help others build a better sales engine. So lots of knowledge, I think uh, we're gonna be getting out of Lee today. So awesome to have you join us today. Thanks so much.
1: Hey, thanks for having me today.
0: Cool, cool. The uh, f- first question I have is um, uh, we were listening to some of the other podcasts you've done and you mentioned something which i i wanted to ask about which was that you said that everyone has a michael scott moment in their career but everyone needs to have a dwight Schrute on their team can you tell us about that <laughs> what does that mean
1: yeah for sure so i'm sure we've all watched the office the the us office and um you know we you know if you're a ceo you know let's say you're a manager you're managing people uh, michael's a manager and, uh, you know, there's certain things that he does that, you know, we all, we all have like our Michael Scott moments that we, we, you know, we don't want to associate with Michael. We don't want to pretend that we're, 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 ever like Michael, but you know, like, it's not like I roll out of bed and I burn my foot on the bacon because I want to burn. I want to make my bacon in the morning. Cause I want to smell it. We're not like at that level, but there's always like management decisions that you make. And you're like, was that a Michael Scott moment? Did I, did I do that? Like, I hope I'm not that type of manager. Um, but more importantly, it's the Dwight Schrute, right? Dwight is his right hand man he's that loyal employee he's the he's the the guy or girl that's like there to like you know believe everything that you're you're building you know following you helping you build that company and that's really loyal and passionate and and early on as a startup founder if you can find that person to come on with that journey with you you're going to be you know you all you need that person you need that person that's going to be there with you and 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 helping you along that way um and and for most startup companies it's it's you know it's that first employee um and that's okay if you're paying them but if you know you, you gotta you gotta find that passionate person really really early on it creates a great culture for the company but you need that right hand man
0: and i know you've done this now a few times you've uh, you've co-founded a few, a few companies um what do you look for in those uh traits like how do you pick up on this now like how do you f- how do you find those Dwight Schroots? Like, what do you look for in those people?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've been pretty good at, you know, over the last few startups, kind of finding finding that Dwight Schrute. Um, For me, you know, when you meet somebody, you almost know because, like, it's not – they're not asking about money. They're not asking about, like, are they going to be a manager or, like, what's, what what's the team going to look like when I run the team? Like, they don't even – it's like, what do you need today? And they just go do it. Right? they just come in and they just take care of it they're going to handle prospecting they're going to handle building the list they're, they have like some connections of like i know someone that's going to do this for you know help us on the budget or it's really cheap or I, i'm going to source a va that i've worked with over the past three years like they come in and they just know how to optimize things right away and they're not asking again it's not about money it's not about like how much stock am i going to get am i going to get rich it's not those things Mm -hmm. It's like the very intangibles that, that I really look for. Um, and then more importantly, it's like you take care of these, you take care of them, right? Like you, you, you do whatever you can to get whatever they need. And, um, yeah. So again, it's passion. You got to find that passion. Not a lot of people have it.
0: Oh, for sure. Passion, grit, hustle, Mm -hmm. eagerness to always learn something new. Yes. Um, let's talk about, um, the importance of focus. I think there's a lot of distractions these days. A lot of people, you know, maybe doing different things at the same time. And I know that you don't believe in, in doing anything part-time. Can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy around that mindset?
1: Yeah. So the reason why I don't believe in anything part-time is because I've done it part-time and it's never been a success. Now, Success means a lot of different things to different people. I've had, I can say, three or four part time um, startups that I've done under the radar that you know sold for seven figures, but not a success. Um, good for the time that you put in. But if you really want to build a great business, you got to go all in, right? You have to go all in your focus even investors, like you're not going to, like I I do some angel investing. There's no way. First question I ask is like, are you doing this full time? And then it's like, well, we're still working our jobs and we're going to think about moving. I'm like, that's part time, right? Like it's good. You have to start that way. We all do, right? Yeah. So you have your part time job, you, you do the side hustle and then, but there's got to be a time where it's like, you got to go full time. Um, You got to, you got to take that break. You got to, you know, get the max those credit cards out, raise a little money from friends and family. Like you're not trying hard enough. You got to do that. Um, but it really comes down to focus. The focus is everything. You need to sleep, eat, breathe, be passionate. Wake up in the morning and be like, you know, I'm I have like eight meetings today, and I hate. I wish I could do other things, but like this is what's going to get me there. Um, and and there's so many different pieces in the business moving. Like, how can you be doing anything part time? Like, I can't just under, imagine someone running a business saying, like, Yeah, I'm running a startup, and I spend three hours a day doing this. I'm like three. Like should be t- 14, 15.
0: Yeah, I, I don't like, it's a great point you brought up because there's a lot of people I know that are working on a startup on the side or they're doing something, it's like three, four hours. And I'm like, what do you really get done in those three, four hours? Because I work 10, 11 hours and I still can't get through all the shit I wanna get through. And I'm like, I just realistically, like, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, on that note, I wanna ask you, what do you think of the, what do you think of the whole Tim Ferriss six hour, six hour work a week? A day yeah. a week, uh,
1: yeah six yeah um i actually don't have I, I have a lot of books here i don't have that one here it's at home um sure it's like i think it's i think it's great for a great title for marketing right <laughs> but if you can get it done in six hours man all the power to you but if you're gonna run a business in six if you're running a, a your a side hustle your own little business you know in on the beach somewhere and you're making great money like awesome like that's success to you that's awesome like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna downplay that but if you're running a business how am i gonna work for six hours a week and then i have like a team that's working 10 or 12. exactly it's just not like you you just can't you can't you're never going to build a company that way so you're set you're starting you're setting the groundwork and saying hey we only work six hours a week a, a day here we work six hours a week that's it we'll pay you full-time good luck i love i love to get one of those jobs
0: yeah i know me too
1: full-time me too. full-time pay for six hours a week that's awesome like really, sign my me dream up. <laughs> sign my me dream. up too everyone's everyone's <laughs> a dream so yeah um but you have to going back to this you have to you have to start somewhere and starting part-time is great and 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 there's a lot of work that you can do on the part-time basis to you know build the framework of your of your startup talking to customers, getting feedback, like doing a lot of discovery with competitors. But then there's got to come that time where you got you to gotta move the needle. So
0: in your opinion, and there is a lot of, I think, people who are going to be listening to this content, you know, maybe first time founders that are maybe doing are in that position of that side hustle and they're, you know, indecisive whether or not they should make the move to doing it full time or, you know, totally jumping over what would you say to them to be the main criteria to look at when they're making their decision on when they're ready is it revenue is it customers is it
1: family friends money the easiest answer is that you know the business will give you the answer like you will know when you're booked with 100 meetings a, a month and leads are pouring in from the website and people are asking for your debt for demos and and buying your product and revenues going up like that's just an easy de- that's the easiest decision right not a lot of us get to that point right away it takes time it always takes time no one's going to get to that point but the 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 time to make that switch and that change you know there's out there there are outstanding factors one is you know do you have a mortgage do you have kids like where are you in your life like those mm-hmm. are things that you just Unfortunately, you can't make the you can't make that risk, right? Not right, right away. So starting out that part-time is is great. And then getting your setting yourself with some goals for saving some money, but setting yourself with some goals of like I make three thousand dollars a month, I can get by, that's that's what I need to do and work part-time until that point, and then make the move. But you have to set you have to put the line in the sand and figure out how much money I'm gonna save how much money I need before I can move on board and go through the route of, you know, friends and family. Like, sorry, it's hard to, it, sorry, it's tough to being a millionaire. Like it's, it's hard work. Sorry. Like you got to sacrifice if that's what you want to do, if that's what your goal is And money. But money's never been my goal. That's the thing I've never mm-hmm. worried about, like how much money I was going to make or I blindly went in and like, that's it. I'm in let's, let's do it. I've saved some money. I'm fortunate. And and it's worked out right. because mm-hmm. never money's never been the motivator. So, I think that's another thing too. If money is just your motivator, then there's a lot of other ways to easier ways to make money. Like you just sell an online course. Uh,
0: regarding the family and friends um, funding, I want to ask you about that because a lot of people find it really difficult to go and get family and friends money. Um, and there's a lot of different options out there and especially in Canada, like non-dilutive based type of um, funding options to the government or grants and things like that why why in your perspective would you consider family and friends as as a potential funding option
1: so I think as a founder you have to get really comfortable pitching asking for money like you don't need to raise money but you got to get comfortable pitching and, and raising money and be confident in your own skin to believe in your product and what you're doing and sometimes family thinks like well you know john was a dropout and john never did anything. he never finished anything why am i going to give him yeah okay if you're that guy maybe it's going to be a little bit harder for you but if you've been a little you know at least have some accomplishments in your life i think the family and friends they're going to give you that good feedback and if they have some money you know writing a a thousand a dollar check or a five thousand dollar check it's going to get you a long way as a startup mm-hmm. like a long way so i think you have to get comfortable in your skin you got to get comfortable pitching got to get comfortable people saying no because you're going to get a lot of that and but and but I think it's really good for you to work on the pitch, right? Like it's a great work way to work on the pitch. The last thing you want to do is go and meet twenty VCs, and you haven't refined that pitch because they all talk to each other. And one passes, then the other one talks to the other, and they all, the other one passes, and the other one passes. And all of a sudden, you've burned your you know your small network. Um, so friends and family is great to get a little bit of money, get some feedback. Hopefully, there's that that uncle that has run a business and give you some feedback there. Um, and it's going to get you thinking in a different way as well. So I think it's important. Really, just the pitch and getting in your comfortable in your own skin as a CEO.
0: That's uh, that's really interesting. I, I earlier on when I was doing my first uh, my first startup, I was kind of scared of going to my family to asking for money because, like, you know, uh, it's tough asking for my parents, my grandparents, whoever it was, you know, to give me money because, like, how do I know I could deliver? on what it is that I I, I take from them or, you know, setting expectations or keeping things objective. Like what if they give me money and they're just giving me money just to support me, but they don't really believe in the idea. And then I'm basically on the wrong path, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you stay objective?
1: I didn't, I didn't ask friends or like I asked friends, uh, but family, I didn't ask, I didn't ask for, cause I had enough friends that had money. So okay. it was, it was, it was <laughs> an easy, de- it was an easy decision. It, I was, I was happy to have that, that opportunity. Um, my friends had money and they were like, sure, I'm happy to like 10, 10 K check. And some wrote some bigger checks. So that was great. They've always supported me, but we all support each other. I think that's, that's kind of how it's worked with us. Um, but family, no, I didn't, it didn't even, it didn't cross my mind. Right. Like I was just, it wasn't an opportunity, but, mm. um, Plus another thing too, my family doesn't again probably like a lot of other people, you know, immigrants to this country. They're like startup tech, like nine to get a nine to five. Where's the pension, right? Like, it, where's the dividends? Is there dividends? Like, so a little bit different. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't fly so much with me. But yeah, I went through the friends. But I think it's good. It's a good practice. If you feel comfortable, then then do it. Um, but you know, go to your go to your friends too. Go to your ex boss. Go to the last company you worked at. You know, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of a a great way to even get comfortable pitching friends and family is there's a lot of community events that they do just like startup pitches or even just attend one and watch one. You don't have to pitch. Just watch. There's a lot of resources out there to get that information. And I think that's one thing that most startup founders don't do is that, you know, there's so much information out there. Everyone, I feel that wants the short answer, like they want the quick bullet magic it's going to happen, and I'm going to be successful, and everyone's using my product. And they got to like they got to work hard, but they don't want to ask the tough questions. Um, and I, I find that sometimes with, they don't want to put in the research and the work and, and understanding these things. They they want to they, they want to they, they, they hear what they want to hear. And um, I think that's I think that's one thing that a lot of you know early founders and I've been there too, right? Like I've been in the same position. Uh, as well, so I think you got to get out there and find a mentor, but go to these pitch events and just listen and, and watch and f- think that is it. Find out, figure out it if it's out right for you. I think that's the first thing.
0: When it comes to asking the tough questions, especially for founders, there's a few founders I've come across that we worked together with on projects that they never sometimes ask themselves, you know, very simple questions like, why am I building this product? Who is this for? um Some basic fundamentals, and I always kind of tie it to just having innovators' dilemma, you know, among other things. What do you think this is? Is this tied to just having inexperience? They don't know what to optimize for in the short term, long term. Like, what do you think it is the rationale?
1: I, I well, I, I feel that a lot of founders are probably scared of the answer. They don't want to hear the no or you know, they feel that they may have too much insight. And I think that's probably a problem too. When you have too much insight into things, like you're, you're so tunnel vision, um, you're not kind of seeing all the angles. So I, I feel that you need to make sure that you try to get as many people to look at your product, um, but not just look at your product. It's, am I going to the competitors? So like, what's the checklist look like? Uh, there's competitors in the space. Have I done the research? Have I gone to have I done a demo with the competitor? Did I fill an online lead form to see what that process looks like for that competitor? What are they doing that I'm not doing? What can I what can I do that they're not doing? Um, look at the pitch they gave me. The, 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 the value prop on the website is completely different than the sales pitch that they gave me. Like you, you just see a whole bunch of different angles that you probably wouldn't have seen before. Um, so they don't want to hear the answers, right? They want to be like, oh, I, we do this so much better. What is so much better? And they don't, the big thing is they're scared. And this is the, one of the biggest things I can, I think anyone can walk away with if they're a startup founder listening to this today. If you can't go and prospect and ask your potential customers to talk to you about the product you're building, and if they can't give you time, they're not gonna give you time when your product's ready. Or money. (laughs) or money right so it's a great method of learning how to prospect it's a great method of learning how to get in the door and start learning to sell because most founders like some of them build really good products but like they don't know how to market or sell it's a really good experience for you to get into this really early and understand like i'm building this product specifically for you i can probably you know this is where we're thinking about how we can help I'd love, you know, I, 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 you know, I'd love to show you what we're building and share our vision with you. And most, a lot of people are gonna say yes, right? You're gonna get a lot of people are gonna say yes. 10, 20, 50, 100 people, no problem, I have no doubt. And that's a great ex- experiment for you to understand what's happening. Um, and I think that a lot of founders are really scared to ask those questions and get on the phone because they're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm tech, I'm, I build things and I don't talk, to them. it's a big problem. Very different. Bepr- I see it all the time. Like I, I get sourced a lot of a lot of deals to invest in, and there's just small checks. But I asked a lot of the founders. Like I asked them all the same question, and a lot of the time it's like, yeah, we talked to one one guy. We talked to one company. They really liked it. I was like, one? Like you've been doing this for eight months? Like you talked to one? They're like, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's amazing. I'm like, oh, they, come on. Like you got to put the time in, right?
0: What are, other, what are some other what are some sorry I'm going to ask this question but what are some questions you ask that's like so so how many fir- people so do speak f- to sorry
1: Go ahead. yeah so, no no great so the first thing is are they doing it full-time and part-time like that's the full first thing I, I asked them I asked them why why they're doing this what's the problem that they had I want a, I want a founder to relate to the problem not like I worked at this you know fine I worked at this company and I've seen our customers that, you know, there was this big need. Great. I love that. Right. They have insights. They have domain experience. I like that. Um, Oh, I I want to build a product because I want to be a founder. And, you know, like I have a great developer. He's the best developer I've ever seen. Not a a great answer. I want. Right. I want them. So I ask questions around why full time, part time. I want to know how long they've been working on this. I want to know how the founders know each other. I want to know if there's a technical founder. I always want a technical founder not like, and, and a lot of founders recently that I've been coming across have been like, no, no, we have no technical founder here. We have an offshore team. I don't, that makes me scared, right? You're building a tech company and you're not building the tech on your own. Um, eventually you got to like, that's great to get off, off the start. But what happens after you like, there's a, there's a kind of a, a cross section that you have to figure out. So that's what I usually like to, to figure out first. And then, you know, you, you know, when you really meet a really good founder right? They just articulate their product really well and the problem really easily. If I can't understand it, then I'm like, no, thanks. Uh,
0: It's, it's so true about the part about the technical founder. And I recently interviewed, um, Rachel, uh, from the entrepreneur fund. And she said that at the entrepreneurs fund, they always recommend, um, they don't believe in the three person co founder approach. They believe in the two one and that one of them has to be, has to be a technical co-founder. Otherwise I could just, The dynamic doesn't work there and i i agree with that a hundred percent even when we speak to prospects or clients and they're like yeah you know i'm the founder i I, know i want to build this product i'm like cool we'll help you build the mvp but you need to have a cto yes from that point forward once the product's ready and it's out you know you need to have somebody there on your side internally because investors are going to look for these type of things so great points great points um, I want to, uh, going back to the whole focus part, um, you, you know, I find that entrepreneurs sometimes have a hard time, uh, being focused or having a specific niche that they're doubling down on sometimes it's a bit scattered and, you know, quite general that of you know, the problems they want to solve, it doesn't have like a MV, MVP approach or like a minimal viable job it's supposed to do. What, as a founder, what do you need to look out for to make sure that y- your niche is not too narrow at the same time?
1: So an easy exercise is, you know, doing some, you know, not just market research, but market sizing. So picking the market, the, the, the ideal client that you want to sell to. So for us, let's use our scenario, for example, we sell to um, a smaller part of our niches, sales agencies so we went and looked on you know clutch and fiverr and a whole bunch of other places on linkedin and we're like okay there's at least you know ten thousand of these agencies out there uh if not more that we could that we couldn't find and then we looked at the marketing season we're like you know a lot of marketing companies are using you know still traditional marketing software for you know very like plain text email sales type emails which you know they can but really not built for that so we're like okay you know our our market niche is big enough and then if we sell a license at $60 a license or $100 a license at even if it's like 5,000 licenses, you're like okay this is you know like a a 5, 10 million AR business in the next few years but that doesn't mean you can't expand right you're going to land and expand and like go into different markets and verticals because what one the first year and two years looks very much different than year four and five and very much different from year nine and ten like very much different. So when I'm looking at it, I definitely want to do that marking market sizing experience experiment where I take a, how much I, I think I'm going to sell my product for how many clients I think that are out there and, and actually find where they are. And it's a simple, you know, it's a simple math, you know, just simple math. You just get it up and you can kind of see where you are. If you own, if you're having a hard time trying to find com- prospects, and you go on LinkedIn, you run a search, and you're like, oh, there's none here. And this is this is a problem, then you're gonna know that you're probably in the in in, in the wrong in the wrong market. Another one is competitors. You wanna look at how many competitors in the space. Another thing I look for, founders. There's no competitors to do what we do. We couldn't find one. I'm like, there's probably a reason why, right? So like maybe it's just like an adjacent market or vertical. Like so like, maybe they're not explaining it well, but that's a that's a red flag for me. But I definitely want to uh, look at the, the competitors, look at the market. I want to look at their site traffic. I want to see who's coming to the site. I want to see, you know, what type of customers are selling to. Are they enterprise? I also want to look at the market and see, this is a really good practice. You look at the market and you see client, uh, the the bigger customers that just keep raising more money and keep going more up market. Cause when that happens, you find that the bottom of the market just like really opens up. I found that at my last startup that that happened like we weren't doing anything special and it was like, wow, we're just getting a lot of people coming over because the bigger competitors were like, sorry, we can't sell to you anymore. And they came to us. Hmm. So that's a, that's an insight that, you know, you, you'll find out later. So those are the things that I like looking for. Um, and, you know, you got to feel comfortable knowing that, you know, what's the 10x reason of why this company is going to use your product over what's already out there. That's a big big why, right? You got to figure out that, what that is.
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. That's, that's the the exact question that I think will define the success of your company. You know, what is that specific reason people would use your product over something else? Um, I know this is something that you strongly believe in because you mentioned it before, but you mentioned um, founders must close a set amount of revenue. You know, first I want to ask why, why do you think that?
1: Yeah, I'm a big believer in this. Um, so as a founder. My OK, so the, the easiest is how do you expect to hire people? And just bring someone on board from day one and expect that person to close and you've never closed the deal. Like there's no knowledge transfer. There's none of that, right? Like that. I think that is just so weak, like just call bullshit on that right away. That's like we have this great sales guy. He's amazing. And I, I closed the first deal. So. Like, he or she knows, like, the whole process now. It's not about the sales process. It's about, like, the feedback and the customers. But here's the bigger one. Your first 10, 20, 50 customers, they're buying you. Like, they're buying the founder. You got to, like, they want to they know your mission. They want to know your vision, Your like, your values, like, why you're building this company. Why are you even, why do you even exist? Why are they going to come on this road with you? Like there's all of that. So like what happens if like, okay, early products, there's going to be an issue. There's going to be a bug. It's still early. And then they're going to go to the sales guy and the sales guys gonna be like, oh, sorry. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me go to my dev and I'll see what's going on. No, like they want to call the founder and they would be like, Hey, like what's going on here? Okay. Like this is the, here's the real reason. Here's like, you build that rapport with them. You build that trust. Like it's so important for early on, early on, you build those advocates. Like it's really important. More than the, more than the sales process side.
0: I couldn't agree more when I, anybody who I speak to, when we speak to clients or even any of the venture stuff that we do, it's always like, is the founder selling and are they the main reason why that company is successful? Because it, it always becomes apparent whether or not that company can succeed, but also that founder has to then transfer that knowledge to a team, right? For it to scale. As a founder, though, what what would you say should be that threshold, in terms of the amount of revenue you should close or you know bring in yourself?
1: Yeah, so the deal sizes matter. Like, if you're a, you know, let's say you're selling you know a fifty dollars license, and you close, you know, like you're up to like fifteen, twenty KMR, maybe twenty five, and they're like, okay, I have time for a salesperson now. I think you should still co sell. I still think you should still be closing. At least for a few, first few hundred thousand if you're selling bigger deals i think probably even more so you're going to probably have to need to be closing deals um, but there has to be a transition i just talked to a lot of founders friends and they're like yeah you know i'm still you know i'm still selling i'm still managing the sales team i'm like you're three four five million ARR. like what are you doing here like what's going on and then there's founders that have no vps of sales and that just makes i just laugh at that i'm like you have no vp of sales like who's running the ship here so there's those, those there's a lot of mistakes there but yeah definitely for the first you know if you're selling a small little ticket item $50 you definitely want to make sure that you you know 20 30 40k MMR probably at least co-sell to that point point. and I think you should always still be really involved for for a little bit a little bit of time until you have three or four salespeople in, in a in a in a VP of sales um, so I think it's, I think it's important you, as a co-founder, as a, as a CEO, co-founder, you have to be always really tied close to the customer. I, am yeah. a firm believer in that.
0: Yeah. Keep your, uh, your ear to the ground close to get feedback and thoughts on how to improve the product. I totally agree. I, yeah. I'm a huge believer in having the founders, um, be the first salesperson until it gets to that point, uh, 30, 40 MR. um, for sure. Uh, good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. The next question I have is, uh, interesting one because I have my own opinion on it. Uh, uh, I know you're not a fan of Reed Hoffs, Reed Hoffman's, um, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you launch too late. Uh, why, from your point of view, why do you, why do you disagree with that?
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, so just so we were clear, I, I definitely don't have a problem with Reed Hoffman. Just to, <laughs> just that quote. Um, actually I actually have his I have his book right here. Um, so I'll give you a perfect example. Um, superhuman. We all know Superhuman, right? Right. Phenomenal yep. product. Beautiful UI. Probably the one product I've used first. That came out of the gate, like brand new. You just you signed up, you used it, and you're like, wow, like what a, what an experience. It like it it looked that probably was probably bug free, it it was perfect. There's a perfect example, right? Like, you think that you're going to launch a product in email, there's probably 50 email clients already and 50 500 that probably already failed. And you're going to launch a product that's half baked, and people are gonna be like, thanks, no, thanks. My product that we built, there's competitors, if you're building a market with competitors, there's a baseline that they expect, like there is a fundamental experience that they need core features that they need to have. And if you launch a product, that's like, Hey, this is kind of what we're thinking of doing. It's not ready yet. People are like, yeah, great. This is cool. Like, let me know when you're finished. They're not going to run their business on it. Right. But if you're building a product that is very new entering into a market, um, and maybe you don't have a lot of competitors, or the competitors are really, really weak. And you have like that one feature that's like so good, but the other stuff is really weak. I think that's the only way you can get away with it. But I don't believe nowadays how quick and fast you can go build product and find teams that you should go out and be like embarrassed about this product. Like I built a full baked product that had so many features and clients were still like, Oh, do you have this one thing that we really need? It's like, Oh no, not yet. And it's, it's hard still, right? It's still hard. So yeah, I don't, I'm definitely don't take, I don't take the to that adage at all.
0: Would you say that there's a difference though in that, in that mindset between B2B businesses versus B2C?
1: Yeah, I'm not a B2, I'm, I'm definitely not a B2C guy. Um, you, although I had like, you know, sold like online supplements, you know, just make you know easy money before it was really <laughs> simple to do like seven, eight years ago. Um, but I'm not a B2C person, but, I think it probably it is a little it is a little bit different. B two B, there's so many like I, I would be hard pressed to find how many competitor how many companies are coming out that don't have any competitors or adjacent competitors. So you, I think you have to build like a pretty good product. But B two C is probably a, a different use case for sure.
0: So my my counter to that thought process yes, is I was going to ask, and I've been down this rabbit hole many many a time is. Um, Your product can never be perfect at the end of the day, right? And I know you only have one shot to wow people or impress people and to have that stickiness for them to come back because if something's broken, they're going to just delete the app and then sign out, right? Mm -hmm. But it's always a fine balance understanding when is something shippable enough Uh, because you need to get something out. You can't just be constantly building years and years, hundreds, millions of dollars. Like I've seen this happen. And then you ship it, and it still falls flat on its face, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. how how do you balance that, though? Because, like, you can't be building a product until it's perfect
1: forever. Yeah, I think you have to really define requirements. And this is always hard, even though we've done this a few times. We still made a mistake this time around a little bit. Like, there was a few things we could have done better. Um, but you have to have the core. Like, this is our core. This is, our, this is what we're going to release. Even though we pushed that out a couple times or, like, a month, month, month and added a few extra things in there, but you have to have your core and you have to set your line. So that's that's my answer. You have your core. Here's a defined requirements. We hit this, we're, we're releasing. And even if it's just like, here's five or 10 people that you know that are like early, could be those early adopters for you, you got to get it out to them, right? They're not going to maybe run their business on it in day one, but like they can run some tests for you. Um, and that's another thing is that your testing doesn't matter. Like you got to test it but the pro the customers, their their tests and workflows are completely different than yours. Everyone, you wouldn't believe how many edge cases you're going to run across, right? Mm-hmm. And you will. So I think you got to get it out. But as far as like, you know, embarrassed about the product. No, I, I think you have to be like pretty confident about like this is a this is a really good product and it's very comparable to some of the other things that other com- uh, you know, com- companies have.
0: Okay. So yeah. my my next question is more of a product strategy question then mm-hmm. is how can you walk away from requirements that, you know, you know, or we know to be true to produce, to pursue something that we think will
1: help? Yeah. So at any given time, you can only really work on, you know, five ten 10% of your product, 5% of your product at any given time. And there's a lot of things you're going to have to walk away from. So how we look at it and how I would give advice on this would be, are you building for growth? Like, is that, what's the growth lever for that product, That the features that you're building? So um, I wanna build A, my, my developer, my CTO wants to build B, we talk and we're like, what's the growth lever for this? And then what are the dependencies on this one product? If I build a phone dialer, I know it's just a phone dialer, it's just gonna dial and it's gonna make a phone call. But if I build a core feature that maybe take an extra month or so longer, but it's going to give me more growth, and I can build three or more products on top of that that make that product phenomenal in a year or two from now, I'll probably build that. And I also look at the core: is it core to the product? So the, what I walk away from is, if it's if it's not a um, core to the product, and I look at I look at growth as well, and more importantly, like do I want it or do my clients want it? Or, like, how many people are asking for it? I think that's that's a, that's a whole other conversation. You know, the, the best advice are people who never give you money, and like, you gotta watch out who those are. Like, those free users are like, uh, yeah. the, they'll complain and they'll be like, oh, I'm a free user. I need this feature. I won't buy your product. I'm like, well, you're not giving me money yet. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I, I just, you have to set a line. I've done this so many times now. If I'm getting advice, unsolicited advice from free users, then uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not gonna, i'm not gonna take you got to watch who you're getting advice from as well as far as product feedback so i think that goes down to have you talk to 50 60 70 potential prospects as far as like really understanding and then you got to decide what you want to build i don't think like the biggest mistake and, and i'd love to hear your opinion on this i i, I talked to again a lot of other founders and they're like oh we get all our product feedback from our customers i think that's complete bullshit. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. A lot of people are like, Oh, our customers build our roadmap. I'm like, really? Are you saying that to make them happy or because like you want to be that type of company? Cause I don't believe that in at all. Like, I think you have to have a vision and your mission and you know, like you what, take, take the feedback that you have from all these other customers and try to make the best decisions for them. But I don't believe that you should just listen to your customers and be like, we did a poll and over overwhelming. I did that. I made that mistake and I built features and they're all they're all mistakes because we're like oh those are what the customers want how do you really know like you don't know the situation you're just taking a poll so i'd love to hear your feedback on that
0: yeah i think it's a fine balance like uh there's obviously top-down ideas that can be pushed into a product that you are a subject matter around or you know what's going to work and then there's the bottom-up approach where you're getting feedback from the from the actual users the the thing i always would say is like okay um can you get buy-in financially from all these people in order to sustain building out their needs? Because at the end of the day, you are, you you know, as you said, I'm, I really believe in that is that a lot of free people who aren't paying for your products are like the worst people to ever talk to, to get product direction on because you're just basically going to be spending your time, money, buildings for something that they're never going to pay for because it will be something else. The moment, exactly. you start, the moment you start putting tangibles around it, around saying, okay, cool. I, I think this will be a cool feature for us to build. There's a couple other people. We're looking for, you know, would you pay for this? Especially in the enterprise space, it could be a custom feature. Like that's what I love yeah. about enterprise software B2B is that all those custom requests are all things that you could build for, bill for, <laughs> to, you know, help align with your product, if it makes sense. but at the end of the day, you got to run a business and you got to make sure that people are paying for what it's worth. But I do agree with what you're saying. I think at the end of the day, you have to know what you think is best for your product because you're the one who's living, breathing every day. And it's, it's important to have that visibility from the client side, but also like you need to make some decisions. And so one thing I always like to tell founders is when you go and you come up with a proof of concept, or you get you know some people excited about it, say, "Hey, you know, I I can't do this for free. Will you pay me something financially ahead of time, up front, yes. in order for me to see the viability of building this into an actual business, just transparently?" And if they say no, uh, you know, I'm not going to pay you money, then you don't have a business. If people say yeah. to you, "Yeah, I'll give you a thousand bucks," and then cool. Then I'll be like, okay, cool. I'll build it. And then you'll have six months off of the product once it launches. And then you start paying after the six month, then, you know, you have something because somebody's giving you money for nothing. Of course. Right. I agree. Um, on that note though, um, there's a lot of distractions as a founder when you're building a a company or building a product. And you, I think you you mentioned this before about the importance of being patient and staying in your lane. Um, Mm -hmm. Companies like from a lot of the recordings I've been doing, people say that as a founder, it takes really on average about 10 years to go from start to end to exit. That's oh, what yeah. I've been hearing a lot. How do you, how do you stay focused and constantly re- remind yourself, okay, I'm in this for the long run, 10 years. This is stretch. It's a commitment because I, from a lot of people that I spoke to after they do this once, they do not want to do it again.
1: <laughs> oh. I should talk. I, yeah, I don't know those. I don't. I, I don't know a lot of those people. But um, our circle, my circle of friends, are like, yeah, they're serial entrepreneurs. So, I, I like to look at it, break it down, I, and and again, from my experience, the longest that I've been at a company is five years. Right, it's been five years. I haven't been, you know, built a company in five to ten years. Five was the longest. Um, but the way I look at it is, you know, you break it down, you know, year by year. Right, you know, year one is going to be tough. Year two is going to be a little bit better if you last if you last that long, okay. And then right around you know you know year two, you're in your second year. You're going to get some help. You know you're going to have some people around you. And I think that's you know what year three and four looks like. It's like you're not doing it alone anymore, or you shouldn't be alone alone. You got good people around you. And you can, again, be a lot even more, a lot more focused once you start bringing those people on. So I break it down by, you know, one year at a time. And I definitely think it's definitely a five to 10 year, unless you want to sell earlier if you have a good, good offer, but it's definitely five to 10 years. Um, but how I kind of go every day and some long, really long days is that I know that this is not going to be forever, right? By myself right now, I have a team, but, you know, on the sales side and, you know, I have great support but eventually the like the cavalry will be coming and uh it's ex- it's exciting so and then things start changing revenue solves everything
0: couldn't agree more right if you have revenue money it solves
1: all, you know the <laughs> pain and the long hours and every, and the customers coming and you like they're paying for it and they're happy that solves everything and that really keeps you going right i think when you when you really look at like you've been doing this for 3 or 4 years and you're just kind of by yourself like I couldn't do that I, I go to I go get a job probably like I don't know um, I don't even know how to interview for a job but um, <laughs> I'd be a nightmare working for somebody never mind like if I had to go for a job interview but that's a side note um, I'd be like founder what are you doing like you're the CEO like get going here what's what's happening why are you sitting down go talk to the team like it, it'd be like one founder to another I think it'd be a nightmare but Yeah, so that's that's what I feel like. You have to um, you have to you know break it down. You need those wins, right? Those wins are going to carry you. Um, On a side note, though, I really I was I was actually saying this the other day. I was like, I've never been more tired in my life, and it's not because I'm running a business. I like it's because of COVID, right? Like stuck inside. Even though I'm at an office here, I'm just down the street from my house, and this place is pretty much like there's nobody here really. So like that's the only reason why I come. But there's like no vacation, no golf, no travel, no, like any, it's the same thing. It's a groundhog day every day It becomes, it's, it's been a little bit harder than I've, than I've used to. So need a little break. You need to get out, meet the, you know, even with the team and be together. Those things are really important as you build the company. So I find now with COVID it's been a little bit tougher.
0: Uh, for sure. Even I think, uh, I just read this other day, uh, the CEO of zoom said publicly that he even has zoom fatigue himself. Yeah. so like i think everybody's just so tired of this right now and we are it's it feels like a never ending story one we'll day see. i we'll, think it'll get better one day
1: one day so hopefully soon
0: um wanna <clears throat> last couple of questions uh lee i wanted to ask about um co-founder dynamics and like you know i've had my own share of problems, nightmares, to be honest, you know, over the last eight years in you know, different companies and stuff like that, it's always tough working with co-founders. You, you go in, you know, there's certain thoughts around going into like a marriage, which is what it is essentially. I I know you've had your fair share. Um, Mm -hmm. and I know you've had some, uh, issues like where you had to let one go, if I'm not mistaken, you know, what, what was your story? Like, is it, is it okay to ask?
1: yeah for sure i'm I'm happy to talk about it and i think it's good for for everybody to to kind of understand and they don't run through the same thing so much like a co-founder like you said like a relationship you need to make sure from day one and we did this at airborne when we started you know what our mission what's our vision you know what are our values right like we kind of define that and they're they're always moving right we're moving them a little bit but you know, we define, like, let's sit down, let's talk about mission, vision, and values, and what we stand for, and what we want to do, and integrity, and all these other things. Um, I, But I did that here. My last company, you know, we tried to start implementing that at the end, but it was a little bit too late, okay? So for my last company, just the easiest way to put it was my co-founder and I broke up um, because our mission, and vision, and values, everything was just not aligned at all. How we want to build the product, how we want to just how we manage people, how we manage our time, how we manage our vacation, how we work, how many hours we put in—like we just weren't aligned with everything. Everything was just off, and it's okay, right? Like it just wasn't—it wasn't right. And after I left my last company, when I started Airborne, I wanted to make sure that first of all, everybody was in full time like we were going to sacrifice, we were going to quit our jobs. We were going to leave. We were going to do whatever we needed to do. we were going to put in the same amount of money. Like this is what we were going to do. And because it becomes pro- like, Hey, I'm going to put an extra hundred grand than you are. Well, guess what? I want an extra 15%. Like those are tough conversations. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave that for, for your fa- for founders to figure it out on their own. But you, you know, we, so we made sure like from day one, this is what we wanted. And then, so at Airborne now, we started with three co-founders and, and good friends, right? Like both my co-founders, good friends. Um, we we definitely talked, you know, you know, a year well before we even started Airborne, just talking about building other things. We actually had another horrible idea that we, that we didn't do. But anyways, um, I'll talk that at the end. I'll tell you what we were going to do. I, it was a horrible idea. And um, so we were going to think of doing something. And then I left my last company. And then we were like, hey, let's maybe let's go build Airborne. So within about six months into Airborne, one of my co-founders, um, it, he was really down. It wasn't part, it wasn't full time. My me and my other co-founder, my CTO and I, were putting in full time hours. We were fully dedicated. This is all we were doing. And my other co-founder had his side gig, and we were like, "That's cool," because like it was it was good for our business. It was okay, and I wasn't gonna ask him to leave that, but it was just a side thing. Um, and I should have realized, I'm like, you know what? It's not full-time still. Like, full-time is full-time and only this. And um, he was really passionate about what he was doing. And it was a good break, though. Like, there was no, like, you're out of here and see you later and you're, you're done. It was just, like, it was an easy conversation because he wanted it, we wanted it, and it was just good for everybody. So we're so good friends and, like, everything, it worked out really good. Um, but, it, it, but the decision early on if I didn't have my previous experience, I would have been like, ah, I'll be okay, we'll, we'll figure it out. No, there's no figuring out. It's like you're you're in or out. And that's, that's, that's what happened. So, um, so for me looking for a co-founder, like I want someone who's so passionate about, they want to build this business, sleep, eat and breathe this business. All they think about is this business, you know, they're, they're able to support me and it's about the strengths. Like if you start a company with three co-founders or two co-founders and you're both marketing pros, but you're building a technical product, I'm like, you probably don't, you maybe need a third or maybe just one, do it, find someone else to do it with you. So you got, it's that matchmaking, like I'm sales and marketing and my co-founder's technical and, and he's great on product. So it's like, we got it covered.
0: Yeah, that's the good feedback. I, I love, I love what you said about making sure there's alignment on core, uh, core purposes, mission, mission, vision, beliefs, values, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. And we instill
1: that... it to the team, too. Like when we do our town hall, like and that's another thing that we do, like we do what we feel that just because we're a startup that, you know, we should have a town hall. We should have like a weekly and a monthly meeting. We should be transparent with the team and what we tell them and, and what we're doing and what we're building. Um, and, you know, my other companies are really like. Wasn't so much there, and I'm like, that's not happening this time around. Like, if I truly want to build a great company, got to have have great people. They got to be with me. And they got to know that they're here. We're, we're in it together. It's not like a, a job for them, and that's what we want. Like that's what that's who we're looking for. And and actually, like one of the recent developers that we hired, you know, he saw a posting and he's like, hey, I'm actually like an intern and I'm out of school. Like I'll work for free, and we're like, no, we'll pay you. Like let's just interview you. He was so passionate and he was um, he's amazing. So those are the kind of people we want.
0: Those are those are the gems. Yeah, you, got, you, got, you got lucky okay last yeah, question last question lee uh what would you say to your 30 year old self i always like asking this question
1: <laughs> yeah so you know early 40s um 30 still i was still in like startups but i would say more like a my 22 or 25 year old self like right out of school 23 year old self you know i, I wish i would have learned programming i wish i would have programmed yeah i i think that i could have you know built some great things and and tested things on my own um yeah a little have to learn to program and start start a startup doesn't matter what it is it fails it burns it crashes just go like get in hustle somewhere some something
0: somewhere something i love it no that's yeah. true i think having even basic knowledge of programming these days is a must i think yes everything is moving towards that direction and i I tell everybody, like, get get your basics, understand what's what at a minimum.
1: I have my nine-year-old daughter programming already.
0: Oh, really? Wow, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, she's she's yeah, on the right yeah. track. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Lee, that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for participating on our show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ram. I appreciate it. Um, anytime. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, thank you. Yeah, and uh, thank you, everyone who's going to be
0: listening. This was another off-the-record podcast. Um, it's a new podcast with the goal to build a community of founders and VCs to help each other build better to build uh, to build better businesses together. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.